Here's what we're going to look at tonight. God's sovereignty and our prayers. Does prayer change things? And here's the question. People say, okay, if God is in control, if God has a plan for what's going to happen in the world, when I pray, how does that happen? I mean, is it it me, the one who's being changed, or do I change God? Ever thought about that before? A lot of times we're guilty of doing bumper sticker theology. You know what that is? Those things that people get, right? Like God is my co-pilot, and they put that on their bumper. What does that communicate to you if God's your co-pilot? Bingo, and you're the pilot. And if that's true, the plane's going down, right? That's a bad bet. If you got, you know, if you bought a used car, it's got that on there. You know, just knock that baby off because that's bad bumper sticker theology. So, but but the question does French fries are ready? Um, the issue of um, of prayer. I thought this would be a very good statement by Millard Erickson. Uh, if you're looking for a good theology book to a She's got it blasting in there. <laughs> I'm impressed. I need that. That's like a sound system on the phone. Um, if you're looking for a good Christian theology book, this is a, a very good Millard Erickson's called Introduction to Christian Doctrine. And this is what he says. When God wills the end, in other words, the end, the, the ultimate goal of Jesus coming back and redeeming the world and so forth, he also wills the means. And what he means by means here is the stuff that God uses to work to get this. Right? That was the old question of William Carey before he went to India. People back then, they said, look, if God's going to save the heathen, he doesn't need you to do it. Right? If God's going to save people in India, he's going to do it. He doesn't need you to go. William Carey looked at the Bible. He stopped just listening to people and he said, okay, well, if God does things, then what does God use to do things with? Great Commission. He told who to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Us. So God uses us in our frailty and our fears and our obedience to work out the end. So that's what we mean by means, okay? So when God wills the end, he also wills the means. Thus, prayer does not change what he has purposed to do. It is the means by which he accomplishes his end. It is vital then that a prayer be uttered, for without it the desired result will not come to pass. Now this statement right here, uh, prayer does not change what he has purposed, that throws a lot of people off. Why do you think that statement right there, we're not saying that Millard Erickson is the Bible, why do you think that statement may be misunderstood to say that we don't have to pray for God to work? He already knows what we're going to pray for. That's what Jesus says, right? He has... He knows of your need before you, before you ask. Yeah, Michael. I think another way you could say that is when we pray, we're not changing God by our prayer. We're changing us by praying to Him for what we are asking for. Definitely. Definitely. That is definitely true. Um, one aspect of it. Now, he, here's the question. What is God purpose to do? If, if we could kind of put a maybe a one word or a one sentence theme on what has God purpose to do, that's a really tough one, I know. But let's try to take some stabs at it. In the grand scheme of things, in the end, when it's all said and done, when Jesus has come back, and what is it that God has purpose to do? Bring us home, save his people. To, to redeem us, right? Mm-hmm. To buy us back. 
once again, the question remains, what does God often use to redeem people? Obviously, it's grace through faith, but how do people hear about the gospel to where they learn that it's by grace through faith? Yeah, people who are obedient to the Lord, even if it's somebody who has been obedient to say, Lord, I'm going to print out some tracts, right? To go hundreds of years ago, I'm going to take, if I live in Europe, let's say, you know, 15, 16, 1700s, I'm going to take the risk of investing the money into what would be a black market contraption called a printing press. You know what the Roman Catholic Church would do during the, during the Inquisition, during the medieval times? If they found someone, or this would be later medieval times, um, if they found someone who had a printing press, and they were most of the time printing the Bible, and they were printing gospel tracts, you would be burned upon your printing press. It was like dealing heroin but not a lax U.S. justice system. So even people who haven't had contact with a Christian, but who have read a Bible or read some literature, people had something to do with that. Well, what happened to the people who had something to do with the printing? God saved them, right? So it comes from God, but He works through us. But here's something I want us to think. We're going to look at a few scriptures, and we've got four discussion questions, all right? God had, people say, now hold on, if we're saying that we pray and then God responds to our prayers, doesn't that mean that God is dependent on us to do something? And if that's true, then God's not really sovereign. Let me tell you why that's not true. Who is the one who told us to pray? All right. The Lord told us to pray. So God, we need to catch this, because I think that when we pray, if we can have this thought in mind, it will really help our prayer life. When we pray, we understand one thing, and that God is sovereign, right? Amen? Good old Baptist, amen? He's the sovereign, he's in control. And he's the one who, if we could say it like this, he's the one who set up the terms of the contract or the covenant that would be this. I'm sovereign, I'm in control. I can make this thing operate however I want to. And the way that I've chosen to make our relationship operate is this. If you pray, if you seek me, I will work in your life. If you do not pray and you do not seek me, I will not work in your life. Remember what James says? You have not because you what? You ask not. So let's look at a few scriptures that will hopefully break this down. Uh, number one, if you're going you to take notes tonight, prayer is commanded, okay? That is a something that a lot of us Christians don't understand, um, especially like the text we looked at on Sunday. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is an imperative statement, right? The imperative, the command, like a mom uses our middle name when you're growing up. It is a command to do that. It's not a suggestion. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, I tell you, ask. That's imperative in the Greek language. And it will be given to you. Seek, another imperative, and you will find. Knock, another imperative, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. So, right here we see that God is not suggesting that we pray, 
But he's commanding that we pray. Now, let's stop right here since we live in a really secular world. A lot of people say this kind of seems like that abusive dad syndrome, right? Like, you will have a relationship with me. You will talk to me. Is that it? Or maybe could it be that all of the good things in life, all of the blessings, all of the things that we need, that we receive, all of the things that, what is it, that we need to find, that we may not even understand that we do need to find, come from the Lord. So in His command, He's commanding us not to seek after things that will bring us disillusionment, right? He's commanding us to seek after that which is good. And Jesus gives that other picture um, when He talks about praying to the, to the Father. And He says, how many of you, if your son asks for an egg, will give him a stone, right? And if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent, a poisonous snake. Then Jesus says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven? So on contrary to the people who would say, when we find commands in the Bible, it's just kind of like God is beating people down. And he's saying, it's my way or the highway. God is literally saying that I am the one, I'm the source of all blessing, I'm the source of all life. And if If parents, who are by no means perfect, okay? You remember when you were a little kid, you thought that mom and dad were tyrants? Until you got out of the house and looked back and said, you know, they had a few things right. Maybe I wasn't as brilliant as I thought I was. We later realized that our parents desired good for us, but our parents were far from perfect. Jesus is saying that God desires good for us, but he is perfect. So it's like the good parent illustration um, just magnified a million fold. Also, um, from the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. uh, Our second point here, prayer influences God's interaction in our life. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of what? Because of your words. This is Daniel needing the Lord to intervene. So here's the question for us. If Daniel had not prayed, if he had not continued to pray, would God have answered a prayer that was not given? No. Because he said that because you prayed, I answered. Let's look at another one. Uh, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. This is on purpose. The bold, can you guys see that? The bold with our grainy outline here. Um, And the underline, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. What's the condition here? Got to pray. The land being healed, God hearing from heaven, God forgiving their sin, the whole package of a person's life, individual, a family, or society, all depends on if my people pray and seek. Doesn't mean just one prayer, it means to seek. 1 John 1, nine, New Testament. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, the book of James here, that's just kind of a note for the whole book of James because it's kind of, got this theme, so if you just want to put that down. 
chapter 5, verse 16. I'm glad you got that, Michael. Thanks. Uh, the prayer of a righteous man or a righteous person has great power as it is working. Or you can translate this, prayer of uh, a righteous man avails much. So for the Lord, for us to have that continual relationship to where we have our sins forgiven and cleansed, what must we do? If we confess. Confession is a type of prayer. If there is no confession, then a believer is going to have un resolved guilt between them and the Lord and it's going to affect everything. See how this all this works together? Once again, we still have God who's sovereign, but he's the one who set it up to say, if you pray, then I'll work. <clears throat> um, Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. I want to read all of this. The Bible says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is a house church meeting. So this is what we want, right? We want to be able to speak the word of God with boldness. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about a Baptist church if we'd like the house to be shaken. I'm not sure if we want that, but uh, that's a good thing. But what happened before God showed up? They prayed. And how long they prayed? It was not a Baptist prayer meeting. <laughs> now, I don't mean that, that critically, but one thing that I would, I would encourage all of us to do in our personal prayer time, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. See when you guys... I'll stay with this. Okay, number three, because I'm going to get off. I'm going to get off. Number three, prayer is not, that's a point that you made earlier, Michael. Prayer is not about trying to, Miss Betty, please don't see this. This is a typo. I don't want the teachers to catch this. Prayer, prayer is not about trying to get God to do our will, but aligning ourselves with his will. Okay? Prayer changes us. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, this is the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why is this a difficult prayer to pray? Submission. Submission. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you guys ever feel this way. It's one thing, um, heaven is heaven, Right? It's where the presence of the Lord is. But earth is filled with a lot of frustrating things. People, taxes, the nightly news, Fords, you know, I mean, all sorts of stuff that, that, that we have here that it's easy to say, okay, well, that's one thing for God's will to be done in heaven, but here on earth, that's how God can be glorified, Right? Because where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. The bigger the problem, the bigger, the greater it makes God look once he fixes the problem. Um, number four here. Real prayer is continual. I'm not going to read this whole um, parable here, but just write down if you're going to take notes. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. This is the parable of the persistent widow. Verse 1 says, And he, speaking of Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always... Always to pray and not lose heart. It's a story about the lady who went to the corrupt judge. She said, give me justice. The judge sent her away, sent her away, sent her away. Finally, the corrupt judge said, I'll give this woman justice just to get her off my back. 
And then he says there in verse number 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. This is speaking of God. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, this is the question, will he find faith on the earth? Have you ever had that time in your life where you've prayed for a person, you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed, and then you've prayed a little more, and after you've done that, you've prayed some more, and it hasn't happened yet. We have a whole section in the Bible, these are straight from the words of Jesus, a story for us to remember that when we pray for those people who we don't think that can be changed, Jesus gave it so that we will not lose heart. That's encouraging. So that's one other thing to remember. I've heard some people say, well, if you just pray one time for it, that should be enough. Not according to Jesus. And don't ever feel that we're insulting God either when we continue to bring something before the Lord. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes we, I think we can feel like that nagging person that we know in our life, right? They just keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming. You've said no or you've tried to awkwardly get out of the situation. You're like, I'm sorry, I've got to clean my baseboards today. I just can't make it. It's that person who doesn't stop. Sometimes we think that we're that before the Lord. But that's all wrong. The Lord is the one who arranged reality in such a way that to say, for me to work in your life, come to me and ask. Come to me and ask again. Continue, continue, and don't, and don't stop. So number five, I have a statement from Andrew Murray, um, incredible uh, Christian of the last century. He said, prayer, or the, the point is that prayer is the lifeline to the power of God. Andrew Murray said, the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelization in history. What do you think about that statement? I think it's true. I want to ask this about it. What about this statement kind of goes against, um, I guess we could call it the American grain, the American DNA? Instant gratification. We like things, and we like things to happen quickly. I was challenged last weekend because we were going to our homeschool convention, and there was a really nice talk by a man talking about fatherhood. Hmm. One of the things that he was really stressing heavily is, is asking men, how often do you men get up every morning and pray for your wife and for your children? And I'm not just saying the once, once three or four times a year. I'm saying every morning you get up and you pray for your wife and your children. You put your face on the ground and seriously pray for your wife and children. And I was just humbled by that. Wow. I was thinking, wow, I don't do that. Hmm. And I'm thinking, how many other men are out there? And what type of change could we make in a community, in a world, if we just did that one thing on a consistent basis, mm. and not even every day, most days, so I guarantee most fathers don't. Mm. That's a good word. That's a good word. Jeff, I look at that, and um, I just think about how the disciples were walking with Jesus, and he sent them out. And um, they were failures almost immediately because they came across some um, people who needed demons cast out and they couldn't do it and they failed. And he told them that they had to pray fast 
Mm-hmm. And they, they were sent out, you know, they had just been with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's so much that we could cover in this topic that we could seriously do a whole, obviously a whole series, a 12-week series on prayer. But one of the things that, that, that I wanted to do with bringing out this statement is may God forgive us for being self-sufficient Christians, for being prayerless Christians. And that's why I included this. You can find this free online. Um, it is a sermon um, that if you can get through the whole sermon reading, and it's not that long, without hitting your knees in repentance, um, I have either you know a person is Billy Graham stature or the heart is dead to where nothing registers. Here's his sermon in a sentence. The sermon is called by Jonathan Edwards, Hypocrites Deficient in the Duty of Prayer. Anybody already convicted? Here's his point. However hypocrites may continue for a season in the duty of prayer, yet it is their manner after a while in a great measure to leave it off. And Edwards just goes through the Bible saying that if you say that you love and you follow God, but you never passionately seek Him in prayer, you're a hypocrite and you need to be born again. It is a sermon. I encourage you, go Google it tonight or you can find it in a Christian bookstore. It will make the hair stand up on your neck. And I think it's something that we need that we need to be confronted with, all of us, every single American Christian, um, because on the average we're way too, way too self-sufficient. Because the thing is, is that even with the Easter Blitz, and I'm hesitant so often to do certain things because I don't want us to think that, let me just be honest, um, and I'm not everybody's a style of a certain type of preaching, but some people say, well, we've got a young pastor So therefore, we've got more people come and our church will grow. That scares me. Why does that scare me? Because if that's true and that's all that it is, then it's just a man-centered thing and it'll crash and burn. Something else. Say, well, we've got a growing choir. More people will come to hear the choir. I've got more people involved and so forth. That scares me because in the end, that would be a performance. We've got a new student from Liberty. You can do some modern worship stuff. That'll appeal to younger people. We can have more of those. Family come. That's a show. If that's all that it is. At the very end of the day, if what happens here and out there on Sunday morning and the rest of the week, if that does not happen from us hitting our knees and our heart and out loud and and, and begging God to give us mercy to have another Sunday to reach people for the gospel, this is a club. I'm not mad at anybody. This is just something that the Lord has continued to do in my heart for a couple of years now because I read this when I was going through seminary and I was absolutely floored. So please go, go read this. If you, if you don't have a computer, you're not an online person, let me know and Mary can print it out in a couple of seconds and um, it's very, very powerful. So let's, let's go to our, our discussion questions here. Um, first one, what are some of the temptations that cause us to stop praying for a certain need? Impatient. Impatient. Thanks for being real. I can identify with that. How many of you have ever been praying and you you kneel down to have time with the Lord and then it's like your mind goes into overdrive? You don't even know, not necessarily bad thoughts, but just thoughts that have nothing to do with prayer. And you focus and you continue. I'm going to give you a statement that will encourage you. Martin Luther said, I've never gone more than two minutes with uninterrupted thought in prayer. 
So if you have kind of like a, an ADHD prayer life, that's not an excuse for us to say, well, I get distracted easily, so I don't have to do it. But that's because when we hit our knees in prayer, that's where the enemy understands that that is our lifeline to God. And he's going to do everything he can to try to distract us. Um, second question here. How? And we're not saying this because we want to, but what are, how do we become deficient in the duty of prayer? What's the process to where we get to the point where we just, God, thank you for this food, amen. And that's pretty much our prayer life for the day. Okay. Good. Simply making time for prayer and God in your daily life. I think it comes with practice. It comes with practice doing it every day. I think what you said, all of those are good observations. Have you all realized that we're creatures of habit? And that can work for us or against us. Think about attending church. Sometimes people they say, well, I'm not going to go this Sunday. I'm not going to go that Sunday. A month goes by and then it feels like, well, I'm going to have to get up and go instead of someone who's trained themselves to where it feels weird not to go. Same thing with prayer. And that's the thing. It can change tonight. Like if you've grown deficient, duty of prayer can change, can change right now. So I think that's, that's it. And the thing is, and I've talked about this a lot with, with friends, that really with adults in the U.S., we end up doing what we want to do, by and large. I mean, is that not true? Sometimes we've got time constraints, we've got to work overtime or whatever. I'm not talking about church attendance, but just doing what we do. Most of us, we do what we want to do. And what we want to do comes from the heart. Number three. What do you think it says about us when we don't give priority to prayer? Definitely. And your priorities aren't set what they're supposed to be. Definitely. I think sometimes it's so easy to not realize the importance of it. And I was just reading something today, ironically, about that very subject. Talked about how you can get so far away from God in such a very short period of time and telltale signs. You can tell when God is is allowing you to fail to bring you back. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that's what it takes to get your attention. Mm -hmm. It's not because God means ill for you. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that's the only way that he can get our attention is is grab us by the shoulders and just start shaking violently. Mm -hmm. Say, wake up. Mm -hmm. Going in the wrong direction. Definitely. I think some people think you just come to church on Sunday morning and the preacher takes care of everything and then you're good for the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to talk to the Lord yourself. Amen. Yeah. And, and, and as, as much as we can say that, Brenda, to as many people and destroy that, that lie that we have in the Bible Belt that church is something that we attend, something that we go to on Sunday morning, it's a lifestyle to where we have that relationship with the Lord every day. Finally, how can we begin to practice the discipline of prayer? I think you hit on this a moment ago, Helene. What may be some practical things that we could share with each other? How do we start this? That's how we come. 
Set aside time. I turn my radio off on, on my way to work every morning, and that's my time with God. As I'm going down the road. Good word. Good word. Uh, every day. So you, do, you just shut the radio off? Shut the radio off, and it's my time. It's my, my, my time with God from home to work every day. Hmm. That's good. I think for me, what has revolutionized my spiritual life, and I spent the majority of my adult life not doing Bible reading, not praying, mm -hmm. is that daily Bible reading. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take five minutes, but invariably I'll read something and it'll be something that speaks to me. And that's, for me, is what is the catalyst for prayer. Mm -hmm. Because something will come to mind that, wow, I really need to pray about that. Awesome. I think that, that when you combine the word with prayer, that's the way that it works. Because often when you're praying through, when, you, when you're reading through Scripture, things will hit. You begin to pray that to the Lord. Um, let, me, let me show you. Got to share this. Um, and then, we'll, then we'll head out. There's one of my friends who has uh, a problem with alcohol. Um, Self-confessed functioning alcoholic. And um, hadn't seen him for a while. I was just really impressed a few weeks ago to pray. Not, Lord, would you save so-and-so, but just to continue to pray for him. This is about a period of, of over a week, and I was uh, up late one night doing some work online, and uh, I get a message on, on Facebook saying, I want to get together, and I want to kick this. Coincidence? Here, here's the thing. Even for people who say coincidence... I think that this was a direct working of his heart, not what I did. I want to make that very clear. All right, we all on that same. It's not you know, well, you know, anybody needs something to be prayed for, you just come to you know me or whoever. It's not, it's not that. Um, even for those people who say it's coincidence, it's God who placed the people there in the situations where the coincidence would happen anyway. Right? That totally undercuts that skeptic that you may know at work. But I would encourage you, those people that you know who need to be saved, those people who have not taken your invitations to come yet, worship with us on a Sunday morning, continue to pray for them. Make it a point for a period of two weeks to pray for them every single day. Pray a scripture for them. Pray that God would bless them. Pray that God would save them. Because let's remember Luke 18, 1 through 8, Jesus says, I tell this parable to you so that you will continue to pray and not lose heart. All right. I love y'all and... Um, I pray that God will continue to increase among us a radical dependence upon Him. And we'll see a lot of people saved. It's timeless truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for my friends who've come here tonight and studied this topic. Lord, the times that we may become deficient in the duty of prayer, would you, would you convict us? And would you draw us back to the fact that we are not self-sufficient people, that we need you every hour like the old song says? And would you work through our prayers, Father? Would you increase our faith and give us, give us courage when we may feel like Losing heart. 
to help us like Daniel just to continue to pray even through the night. In Jesus' name, amen.